0: Welcome to the seventh episode of VSTMOL 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is so delighted to see six drowned cats, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who was telling us before the podcast that a guy called Patrick gave him a huge blow when he was underwater, David Bindley. Good morning. Good morning. Thought I'd preempt another another inevitable smutty quote out of your mouth.
1: The funny thing is that wasn't even in my notes, so you haven't really.
0: Oh, that's a shame. I mean, outside of the sheer health and safety nightmare that was this episode, that probably made me laugh the most, like, everyone just talking about how Anna got a huge blow off Patrick.
2: Yeah, Yeah, right right into her knee.
0: I'm fully aware that it was just a translation issue, but it really made me laugh, because I'm a child.
2: That's your takeaway? Wasn't everybody nearly drowning in this task? It 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 was sexual innuendo with Patrick and Anna?
0: Yeah, you've podcasted with me for nine and a half years at this point. You know what I'm like. (laughs) I'm never going to go for the health and safety nightmare option when the sexual innuendo's there. That's my boy. You've taught me well. (laughs) And it was a huge blow for Papine, this episode. Yeah, he pulled
2: his old disappearing act and vanished by the end of
0: the episode. And if I'm not mistaken, skipping forward slightly to the end of the episode... You suspected him quite a lot in this season. Yeah, I just didn't know quite
2: what to make of the because there were times where he was doing quite well, and then other times where his decisions were more mind-boggling, and, and I was about to say there were times where he came up just short, and at the end of the first task, he really did come up just short by half a second.
0: There is a beautiful visual when he's lying on the sand and Anna is pulling his t-shirt down so he's not exposing his ass, and Peter Yan just looks like a giant over him, and it's very funny, especially at the end of the episode when you see their sort of departure chat over the credits. And Peter Yan is genuinely about twice as height in that chat. It looks like Peter Yan standing on a box because he is so much taller than Papine.
2: I wonder if Papine is really even of Dutch heritage, then, if he's that much shorter than everyone else. Well, we did learn he spent time with the Maasai in this episode.
0: Yeah, good <laughs> point. That was just kind of casually skipped over.
2: <laughs> yeah. I like how no one followed up on that. <laughs> you don't just... like if, somebody, if I was walking down the street with a friend, and they said, oh, you know, this reminds me of the time I was in the Maasai tribe. I'm not just going to glance over and say, yeah, 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 just help me carry this chest, shut up. To... No, I'm going to say, what? Yeah, you, you lived with the Maasai? When? When did this happen? How has this never been mentioned before? Elaborate, please. Yeah. Well, were you living in a town called Maasai? Was it Maasai, California? How was there not more to that story? Why weren't the other players interested in that story?
0: Yeah. It was just very confusing that they they showed Pipine going. Oh yeah, I lived with the Maasai for a few years, and then literally nothing else came of it.
2: Was he? Did he live there voluntarily, or or did his parents have a job there?
0: Well, he comes from a circus family, doesn't he? But I can't imagine there's much call for circus skills in <laughs> in Masai Maasai Mara.
2: There's just this one big circus, gigantic circus tent in the middle of the Maasai Mara it's the only way to protect ourselves for the lions. <laughs> or, or they were really eager to find lions and elephants for, for the circus, so that was the
0: perfect place to go. It just brought up more questions than answers there, to me. So previously, the final six were drowned in Nicaragua again, as their mistrust of Sundos came back to bite them while trying to read the words that they had walked. At a real-time challenge in a rapidly flooding crater, Sundos took charge and won them the cash in the nick of time, Surprise, saw them do the test before the third challenge where they managed to keep half of the screens unseen, sending everyone through to episode seven and meaning that one of Art, Patrick, or Anna should have gone home instead.
2: I like how, for the past two rounds or past three rounds, really, every task has involved lots of rain, lots of flooding, walking through water, and now it's the first day where, or the first stretch of time where there isn't any rain. And they still have a humongous water challenge to do.
0: They still drown. They still yeah. They're still drowning. I mean, we talked last episode about how Survivor Nicaragua and Redemple Temple filmed probably about six months before this episode did. And if you cast your mind back to when they were doing the preseason interviews and stuff for uh, for Nicaragua and Redemple Temple, you'll remember they said deliberately the the seas around Nicaragua are a little bit choppy, so they didn't do any sort of water challenge. And this is why.
2: Yeah, I wrote that in my notes thinking, yeah, that makes pretty good sense. When they were filming the San Juan del Sur area for Survivor, they had almost no water challengers. They had to build their own swimming pool just because of how rough the waves were. And here we have the only challenge where the contestants can be in the water for a bit of, And they nearly die.
0: Yeah, I mean, this entire episode is basically just, how can we kill these famous Dutch people? It's Peter Yan's magical murder tool. Because they try and drown them, then none of them die, although Patrick does give Anna a blow underwater. And then they get them to run down a very dangerous, sleepy hill, and none of them still die. He just wanted a literal execution out of them.
1: Yeah. Don't worry. Next
2: week, he's going to make them fly a plane by relay. That would do the trick. In a a busy metropolitan area.
0: Now they're going to fly them to Hong Kong just for one challenge and get them to uh, try and land at Kai Tak. And of course, Tico will be there to advise them. Because he knows how to fly a plane, or at least he claims he does.
2: Yeah, he spent time with Amelia Earhart. What's interesting, too, is I thought somebody was injured because at the end of the episode when we have the quiz, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we see Patrick talk at all during the quiz, right? We do. Oh, we do? Oh, okay. Because so I thought you didn't really get any footage, so I thought, oh see being medically evacuated because i figured at least one person would get pulled from the game this episode based on the two tasks that we had because if this was the mobile here i think we would have had two or three players have to be evacuated within this episode
0: oh yeah nayla would have died on that hill a (laughs) hundred percent
2: she can even walk along the flat surface of the volcano
0: Yeah, her ankles are nowhere near strong enough to survive running down the Negro. Patrick is between Papine and Karen in the, uh, in the test scenes. Did he use any yokers? We don't know. Oh. We didn't see him use any yokers, at least. They're quite vague on that this season. I know I've mentioned this earlier in this season, but they are very vague on when people play things. This episode is the first one where we actually see people properly play yokers. In seven episodes. So PCN tells us who the three potential boots were, and that the other three gained more information as a result of seeing their screens. Episode 7 begins with sand, sea, and an invisible labyrinth, a Valhalla for the mole. The episode title is A Tooth for a Tooth, and PCN meets them on the other side of a yellow line on the beach, and there is an underwater labyrinth in the sea awaiting their arrival. Anna is confused at the concept of bombs, and the money is in blue tubes, but there are also red bombs. He's going to give them 10 seconds to look at a map of the maze before they have 15 minutes to get in the water and find the randomly generated number, 17 blue tubes that are hiding in the maze.
1: I've got to say that, you know, as much as we give um, shit for not understanding what a bomb was, I feel like they're really using the word labyrinth a bit loosely here.
0: Yeah, it's a path. It isn't a labyrinth.
2: It's not the water temple from Ocarina of Time. It's barely even a shrine from Breath of the Wild.
0: We are legally required to point out that labyrinths do require minotaurs. If there is not a minotaur under that water, it is not a labyrinth.
2: Or a dude with an eye patch Who somehow died on Celebrity Big Brother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Karen refuses to let go of the rope, but essentially just drowns. And then everyone except Sundas goes into the deep waves, and she said she noticed a lot of tubes were in the shallow waters, so she didn't need to go in.
2: Yeah, production
0: was nicer to them here. I don't know. I actually went back and paused the map to work out where all the tubes were and then count that there were 17 before I realised Bindles had put it in the challenge guide. You're welcome. And some of them were very far away from the start point.
2: Some, but at least not all. It's not like, oh, you have to get way out into the water and then start pulling tubes.
0: I mainly went back and counted it just because I thought, 17 is such a random number, why are they doing 17 of these things? Were they not meant to be 20 to make it a nice round number?
2: Maybe the waves took three of the twenty, so they were left with seventeen.
0: Well, there are only seventeen on the board. That's the thing.
2: Maybe they could have just erased it, white out. And uh, one thing to notice, they made them swim with their with all their clothes on. They're like, just go swimming right now, jeans, whatever you're wearing, you're, you're getting in the water. It's like, uh, does production want them to not have a single article of dry clothing?
0: That's the thing. In any other country outside of the Netherlands, and probably Belgium as well, they would have given them at least life jackets for this. That water was very dangerous, and they were pretty much all drowning by that point.
2: Well, I mean, they were allowed to set off their own fireworks, so I'm, I'm not surprised that they weren't given life jackets either.
0: I can't exactly imagine them doing this challenge now. In 2022 when we're recording this, or 2023 when this episode comes out, I can't imagine them actually letting these people just Run into the sea and go, eh, find the stuff that we've hidden there on the ocean floor. Have fun. Since this
2: season, did they have any. Was the South Africa injury after this season or before
0: it? 2013.
2: After, okay. Well, I guess it's been. That's been the last major injury, right? For Vidim? Was that South Africa one?
0: Yeah, I can't think of a more serious one.
2: So you think a decade later? I don't know if they would make it any any safer than this. Depends what other unaired injuries I guess players have had since eliminated players in Vidim don't really do too many post-game interviews, right?
0: No, I think since the Janine breaking herself on a South African cliff incident, they have tightened up the health and safety on this sort of stuff a lot more. I don't think they would do this challenge anymore. However hilarious it is, obviously, to see Karen essentially drown. And Patrick just
2: bang into Anna.
0: Yeah. So Sundust is hit by a wave and drops the tube that she's given, warning that it is loose, and I'm assuming that was the half one that they ended up banking. And then we get Anna and her huge blow from Patrick, and Karen finds something that loses it in a wave, but it didn't feel like a tube. And Papine legs it for the basket with ten seconds to go, and Art says that Pepine is a showman, he makes a headlong dive, but is just out of time. That was quite the dive. Yeah, It was. And he complains in confessional that it would have counted in baseball.
1: It it would have counted if Angela was hosting. Angela would have come up with some sort of bullshit. Oh, I was counting a bit fast, we'll have to give it to you. Sort of excuse to give them money.
0: Angela appreciates the flair.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, Peter Yan just kicks uh, sand in your face if you miss it by that last half second.
0: Yeah, Peter Yan don't give a shit, and that's what's most fun about it. He just doesn't care.
2: I guess it balances uh, balances it out with... uh them winning that quarry challenge by half a second.
0: Yeah, he looks like he's having a lot more fun here rather than just being incredulous at them being successful, like he was last episode.
2: And you could say he was generous too with letting that damaged, loose tube be counted as a full tube.
0: Yeah. So p t n describes them as six drowned cats. He looks quite delighted to see how distraught they are. Yeah, he says, six drowned cats. Did you
2: like it? Lecker? Like <laughs>
0: It's really tough to pick a banner this week because we've had Peter Yan as the banner for the past two weeks. So realistically, I can't make him the banner again this week. But there's so much good Petey Yan content in this episode. It's genuinely tough to pick a banner that isn't Petey Yan-themed in this season. Is the
1: banner Karen's reaction to the Jokers? (laughs) That was great too, I wrote that down.
0: Yeah, Karen's reaction to the Jokers would be great if I hadn't already used a Karen reaction that is very similar in episode four. Because that was my first choice as well. Uh, So they got nine tubes in the end. Well, eight and a half. So earn 900 euros of the frankly bizarre 1700 for the challenge. I don't know why they did 17.
2: Neither do I. They ran out of blue.
0: Yeah, it's such a weird number to pick.
2: It's a prime number.
0: Well, exactly. That's the thing. It's a prime number. And also, I am... Quite on record as hating any really randomly generated number that they use as a maximum. See two thousand two hundred twenty-two euros and twenty-two centimes. But this is just odd that they deliberately pick seventeen hundred. I mean, it does make the maximum for the season so far forty-nine thousand seven hundred fifty, including the uh, the bus money that we've still not added in yet, which is you know doable with their notes. But it's still a really weird number for them to just introduce it. Episode 7
1: There's one challenge in, I think Jordan, where the maximum price Is 850 euros And I'm like, no, just pick A real number Make it
0: work
2: Uh, I just thought it was funny that after they uh, After the challenge Is over, Karen says, oh I have to admit something, I didn't Try my hardest in this Challenge
1: (laughs) Everyone else was doing so well, so I just decided Not to bother (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I didn't think it was worth my effort <laughs>
2: my clothes were feeling really heavy anyway
0: Oh, I love Karen's brand of absolute no nonsense bullshittery
2: <laughs> but it was as if it was this big dramatic absence from them being able to get money in the pot the other five I, I'm sure are thinking oh, oh I can't believe you didn't try Karen we would have gotten all 1700 euros if you really gave it your 110% Oh, I can't believe we didn't have your full effort. Oh, we're so screwed. (laughs) No wonder Patrick collided and nearly made uh, Anna have arthritis in her knee for the rest of her life. Oh, God.
0: Well, she was very much limping when she got out of the water. Yeah, when she put in that one tube? Yeah, she was genuinely in a lot of pain, I think.
2: Yeah, I was thinking there had to be some checks with the medical crew after this challenge.
0: Oh, bless! As if there was a medical crew at this point. It's just you know, Peter
1: Young with, with one of those like doctor's headlamp sort of things on, and a lab coat.
2: He brings out the operation board game. <laughs> is it water on the knee? <laughs> it's water around the knee. The knee is all water right now. <laughs> well, we were just we were just swimming for tubes for the past half an hour. We we're in ten foot waves.
1: And I love how Patrick has a go at Karen for not being any good at what seems to be a pretty difficult challenge. Like, calm down, Mr. Meters.
2: Yeah, there, there's a lot of contestants who have been on Venom that I don't think would have gone that far into the waves.
0: No, like, kudos to Karen for doing so much this season already, and kudos to her for climbing the volcano at the end of this episode and running down the hill, even though she is the most likely to be physically broken at the end of that run and she still managed it in the seven minutes. Kudos to her for going over the devil's wire. Patrick hasn't actually done nearly as much as Karen, even though he's talking a big game.
2: And Soundos says she's switching her suspicions from Patrick to Karen because of this challenge. I'm thinking, I I mean, those waves were powerful. Potentially, if Karen had put forth more effort, she'd be, you know, washing up on the shores of Honduras by the end of the season.
0: It's one way for them to change countries again, I suppose, rather than being people smuggled.
2: <laughs> yeah, just ground, to use Karen as a raft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. do like a Viking funeral.
0: So on the way to the second challenge, they start reading signs for a volcano, and Karen feels uncomfortable because she suspects the challenge is going to be physical, and she is not wrong.
2: Oh, and Art, Art tore into Anna also because of the the first challenge. Oh no, not Anna. He will. Wo- Never mind. He was he, he was also making fun of Karen. He was saying, "Oh, Anna was being very busy, but you weren't." I'm thinking Anna's my number one suspect. Anna could have just looked busy, but not really contribute and didn't really uh, she didn't really find any blue tubes during that. A lot of a lot of that was Pepine and Art, I believe.
0: I do think it's very interesting that after I mentioned it so much last episode, Art barely narrates anything in this episode. It's like they've retrospectively heard our podcast and gone, yeah, we need to cut down on the art content really, don't we? Because he goes from having so many confessionals in episode 6 to like one or two max in this entire episode.
2: Which is good because you know other people need to talk sometimes. And Soundos was shocked that production would make them hype up the steep volcano. And I'm thinking, it's not like the celebrity version of some American reality shows. This is this is Vidim. Yeah, this isn't a fakey, easy celebrity half game. Yeah, you may as well be, you know, collecting buckets of water from a waterfall.
0: And it is worth pointing out, as Bindles mentioned last episode, that the Serenegro is also somewhere that they visited on Survivor Redemple Temple. It's the volcano where Boston Rob threw his idol clue in.
2: Yep, may as well say goodbye.
0: Well, I don't need this. And coincidentally, that's also what Karen said when she... Uh, When she revealed the eight other tubes that she had from underwater and said, well, I don't need these anymore, she just threw them straight in the volcano.
2: (laughs) They didn't get any bombs in that challenge, did they? Yeah, I was curious, what were the bombs going to be like? Because Anna seemed very concerned about the bombs.
0: Well, she saw what the health and safety on this challenge was like already. She didn't want to mix it with explosives.
2: Just that you hear a bomb explode and the Wilhelm scream afterwards.
0: (sighs) She was genuinely terrified that there could be landmines under there just because, you know, they've obviously got a flagrant disregard for health and safety as it is in this episode. Who knows what they're actually going to have hidden under that water.
2: Well, when Pepine was swimming back with that last tube, if he was holding it in his hand and then he triggers a bomb, maybe his hand with the tube inside it would have flown off and landed into the basket on time.
0: Well, he did say that he was willing to sacrifice his hand if Anna was them all. That's true. I mean it's a little bit extreme even for this show to to want some sort of hand for a hand, but
2: Yeah, just at the reunion show. Oh Pepe, you had a you had a tough go this season. You start with two hands, now you have one. Uh what are you up to now?
0: It's just like Belkia, South Africa. They lost a hands. <sighs> <laughs> so anyway, that's the Serra Negro, which is an active volcano and the home of an immunity article. They are told to follow the path up the mountain and take a chest with them, and along the way they can swap it for heavier or lighter chests, and the size of the chest will determine the prize that they're playing for. And it's also a very fun challenge, because Peter Yang can't even be bothered introducing it for them.
2: No, we don't really see them be given really any instructions, just open this chest, you see a bunch of money in it, and they deduce on their own that they have to carry it to the next checkpoint.
0: I mean, me being me, what I would have done is got to the €2,400 chest, and then taken all of the stones out of it.
2: I don't think they were allowed to.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that was banned, but I still would have done it and gone, whatever.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there had to be production off-screen saying, by the way, you can't take the stones out. But I'm surprised that there wasn't, that we could have just had a quick one-minute explanation rather than people at home saying, oh, maybe you can take the stones out or you can take the money with you or you don't even have to carry the chest to the next checkpoint, just run to the next chest, because I think that would be an obvious strategy, too, is just not take that first chest with you if you know there's another one further along, and not waste all of your physical strength on the first chest.
0: I think they had to take a chest as soon as they'd seen one.
2: Yeah, I, I presume that was the case, and that they would have to transport it to the next checkpoint.
0: Yeah. So Sundos thought that there would be a little path for TV, but she was very wrong, and Art says that it got particularly eerie as soon as they started because there is no flora or fauna on the mountain. They are shocked by the size of the first chest, and it contains a lot of rocks and €2,400 in cash, and they also have two backpacks with bottles of water, which they must carry up the mountain, presumably for health and safety reasons. I
1: I just figure it's because the chest was pretty big, but it
0: wasn't big enough for six people to have to carry. No, I feel I feel like they knew that Karen would die if she didn't have some sort of water. <laughs> given the sheer amount of altitude sickness that she was gonna end up having.
2: And Art decides to invoke some mythology here talking about Sisyphus being attached to a rock or syphilis, whatever the whatever the guy's name is from Greek mythology.
0: No, that's Tycho. That's three years later than this.
2: I all I could th- I was thinking, wasn't that Homer Simpson who did that?
0: Yeah, so Art compares himself to Syphilis, aka Tico, who in Greek mythology pushed a rock up a hill constantly and it fell back down and he kept having to push it. And he he claims that they are now part of mole mythology, which he's also a little bit too early for because, you know, Belkia did that in twenty twenty. And they struggle immediately with the size of the chest, and Papine suggests carrying it on his head like the Maasai do, because he spent years living with them. What the fuck, Pepine? <laughs>
2: And sure enough, I'm thinking, there's no... He's going to get a concussion putting that chest on his head, but he gets some good distance with it.
0: Yeah, he's going to break his neck like he's jumping off a South African cliff.
2: (laughs) Pepine, you've been permanently tilting your head. You always seem really confused whenever I've explained the subsequent challenges after this volcano one. Is everything okay? What do you need me to clarify?
0: I mean, Pepine was very good value in this challenge because not only did we have the Maasai thing, but then we have Anna suggesting that they carry it like a coffin and Papine's confessional about grandma rolling around when he did that last.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and then and then you get him and Art sitting in Latin for no reason.
0: <laughs> yeah. Presumably that was a Latin funeral hymn of some description.
2: Reminds me of The Simpsons where they went into the coffin shop once. And Bart accidentally he pretends the coffin is a race car, but then the lid closes in on him and everyone freaks out, say, No, oh, is he okay? And then the guy who owns the shop says, Oh, this is a really fancy coffin, there's a camera inside, and you just see Bart Simpson clawing from the inside of the coffin freaking out. So I wonder if that was the case with Pepine's funeral.
0: Yeah, just the visual of Pepine's dead grandmother rolling side to side as they're trying to step in sync.
1: Got to, got to be honest, it
0: would have made the Queen's funeral more interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just hear the Queen's bones rattling around inside.
0: Now they should have just put some marbles in there. <laughs> yeah. It's very quiet on the TV cameras, and you say hear...
2: <laughs> marbles
1: chimes. Just while while the queue is you know filing past the coffin, every so often just just get you know something to bang on the side of the wall, just like let me out, let me out.
0: I'll just put a hidden speaker underneath it, going Help
1: me! I'm not dead yet. I'm just very old.
0: <laughs> the best thing is, no one's going to hear these jokes for a good year <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it will actually be potentially slightly appropriate to tell jokes about the Queen's so funeral you know by that point. <laughs>
1: If you're listening to this in 2023, just pretend we're talking about Shatner or something else instead.
0: Yeah. If Shatner dies in the next year, I'm going to play you that clip back, and you are definitely going to have earned your Twitter name back again. I know. Like, we were telling Logan after last episode about why you're called the Grim Recapper on Twitter, and um, I fear for Shatner's health now. Yeah. I mean, obviously he needed the money to do The Mass Singer, but I don't think he's that dead yet. Not quite yet. There's still time. So they come across the second chest, which is €1,600, Euros, and decide to leave the first one behind. And the path becomes looser, making it much harder to carry. And Sundar says what we're all thinking by saying this challenge might just be a little bit dangerous. You know, getting people to carry a heavy chest, potentially on their heads, up a very loose path that's filled with the sort of things that will break old people's ankles, a.k.a. Nayla. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong?
2: Plus, it's very rainy and very slippery, too. I've, I've done a trail run before in Vancouver and, and around Mount Seymour. And the night before, there was a big storm on the mountain. And a tree fell over blocking the path. And a lot of the path was muddy. And then there was a stretch where it was just all loose rocks as we had to run downhill. And it was really, really tough to control the speed to make sure you don't roll your ankle on those rocks. I thought I had a couple of times. And I was thinking... If you're carrying a really heavy chest, and you're trying to go up a steep hill with really loose, wet rocks, I'm amazed nobody hurt their ankles in the process. I don't know how they pulled that off, because it fell on somebody too, right? It trapped somebody's leg, either. Was it Patrick's or Art's?
0: Yeah, it trapped someone's legs, but not their arms. Don't worry about their arms. It was just the legs.
1: You know what they really needed to help them with this challenge? A goat. <laughs>
0: So Karen says she ends up focusing on her breathing and claims that she's not in the land of the living. Sundos has to tell herself not to bail on another challenge after the devil's rope and the horses. The third chest is atop the mountain overlooking the crater, and the crater stinks of sulphur. It contains €1,200, Euros, and Patrick advocates taking it, so
1: they do. I think it's fair to say a sulphuric crater is not the sort of travel port anyone was expecting when they heard Nicaragua as the location.
0: No, if you think about how... Redemple Temple uses the Negro. It's a very clear day when they do it, it looks very nice, it looks very lush, albeit you a know, bit barren. And if you compare it to this one, which is maybe six months later, it doesn't look nearly as appealing in Vidum as it does in, uh, in Redemple Temple.
2: Yeah, it's a much darker, almost gothic atmosphere to it.
0: So the fourth chest is €600 Euros and it's still quite heavy and worth half of the money. Sundust's mole Patrick advocates taking a smaller chest again, and Art manages to pick up the smaller one on his own, but when he picks it up with Patrick, he says that it's heavier. Anna and Papine establish that Nietzsche's Vot had liked, so they should keep the €1200 Euro chest, and they do. They reach the top of the volcano, where a very damp-looking PTN meets them. They are told that they haven't earned the €1200 Euros yet, and in fact have to place in one final chest at the bottom of a very slippery slope in seven minutes. Any money that is there will make it into the pot.
1: I was half expecting P.E.A. to be like, oh, why didn't you just take the trail over there? You know, I got the car up here. What was your problem? <laughs>
0: it's such a fun visual of everyone running down that hill and then P.E.A. just kind of meandering down in his Jeep. <laughs> Without a care in the world, he just kind of pulls up in his Jeep and is like, yeah, was a much easier way than, you know, breaking your ankles.
2: It would have been that much better if he pulled in front of them, so it's just a big cloud of dust obscuring their vision as Peter Yan hops out right at the very end after they're huffing and puffing.
1: 20 points if you run Karen over.
0: (laughs) And in one of his few confessionals this episode, Art says that at that moment he wanted to throw Peter Yan into the volcano. (laughs) Yeah, that was the best. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure fostered some wonderful collegial relations between the two of them. Oh yeah, Art, you're taking over from me, and now you want to murder me. Okay.
2: Yeah, Anderson Cooper gets thrown into a Swiss pond, and Peter Yan gets thrown into a Nicaraguan volcanic crater.
0: One of the most active volcanoes in the world, to be more precise.
2: <laughs>
0: and Anna, Papine, Art, Patrick, and Karen all arrive on time, banking them €1,000 of 2400 for the challenge, 1900 euros of 4,100 for the episode and 17,790 of 46,750 for the season so far, with the 3,000 euros attached to the bus challenge still to come.
2: I believe Soundos described herself as a she said that she felt like a kamikaze bunny going down the hill. Now, that's one of your videos, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, kamikaze bunny. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I love how Peter Yam was like, oh, you all survived your One Piece. Good.
0: <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. He just doesn't give a shit. It's delightful. And PCN tells us that everyone had to earn their money individually, and the mole is getting a good deal with just one assignment left this episode. And now we get a very interesting challenge. I kind of like this sort of a challenge when the host is just someone who likes fucking with these people. Oh, like the Kamikaze Bunny. Yeah, this is the most Peter Yan challenge possible, I think, because it's just all personality moments between him and the people he shows deep, deep amounts of contempt for. Which is all of them. Yeah, he's genuinely very irritated when they manage to beat him. And I also have to point out, Karen is an MVP in this challenge. They don't actually draw attention to it, but Karen, being Karen, just tries to help people as much as she can. It's very interesting watching Karen in this challenge, just being like, yeah, I'm going to give all of you advantages, because I'm just a nice person.
2: It's kind of funny that this was encouraged for this challenge because they had a similar one in Season 5 of the Mole US where Nicole got penalised for communicating answers. And here we have Karen where everyone just looks at Karen for <laughs> for the advantages to succeed.
0: Yeah, because she's the least competitive of all of them, I think.
2: She's like, sure, everyone, all of us, let's all get three three yokers, why
0: not? If you had to pick anyone from this final six who you wanted to trust, you probably would pick Karen, I think, because she's Yes, she's inept, but at least she's honest. She's rooting for everyone's success. Yeah. She doesn't mind if she doesn't win as long as everyone has a fun time, I think. I think she's pretty much said that in in previous episodes actually. She doesn't really care about winning, she just wants to she just wants to see everyone have a nice time. Not Sundos? Well, Sundos is competitive at least. Good point. Sundos genuinely wants to win. And Sundos would be made up if she does end up winning. Karen, I think he's just there for the experience.
2: I like how when everyone raises their hand to say that they're gonna play the the final task, that Perian says, "Oh, Anna, you're the only one who doesn't want to play. Um, just, just get away somewhere. I, I don't care where you go. Just, yeah, you know, just, just go. This doesn't involve you. This doesn't concern you. Just take your Yoker and go. You're no fun.
0: <laughs> Would you gamble your Yoker?" Um...
2: Didn't, I wouldn't even know what the game was yet, where I would be told you're either going to get 0, 1, or 3. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one.
0: I think the only information they were given, actually, is they can earn up to three yokers. They weren't told that it could be 0, 1, or 3 until they'd committed.
2: Uh, it sounded like it was too risky. I have a feeling I would have just stuck with my one yoker.
0: Yeah. I don't begrudge Anna's move. I'll be honest. I feel like if you're given a yoker for free, as they all were, maybe you don't do what the competitive thing to do is, and you just stick with the, the security blanket. Because for all you know, everyone could have lost their yoker. Nobody could have done well in that challenge, and you would have had the advantage then.
2: Yeah, it, was, it could have been a complete trap of a final challenge.
0: It could have just been, you know,
1: one person wins three, everyone else gets
2: nothing. That's what I thought it was at first. I thought, oh, they'd play for a chance to get three yokers. You have a one in four chance to get three. And Art completely contradicts himself here because he says, Oh, I can't believe Anna did that. You can't you can't uh, afford to go for certainty at this point. I'm thinking, Wasn't he the one that just advocated for going for the certainty in the previous episode? Oh yeah, he's a hypocrite. Yeah, I'm thinking I was thinking it was Final Six last episode, and he said, Oh, of course, I'm gonna go for certainty. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ha- look at my screen and then fast forward the tape here. Oh, yeah, you, you you can't afford to go for certainty. What the hell are you thinking?
0: Yeah, I think the logic here is that they assume that every episode now is going to be an elimination one. So the buffer has gone. They knew there had to be another non-elim. So they have no buffer left in this season. Someone is going home every single test now. So there is less impetus to play it safe, and less impetus to stick with your morals. You have to go competitive, is art's logic here, I think.
2: And Karen and Peter Yan end up laughing a lot at each other during the first round.
0: god, I love... I know we talk (laughs) in this podcast a lot about great character moments, and this challenge is just pure character moments. Nobody can win any money from this challenge. So it is just Peter Yan, seeing if he can manipulate these people and screw them over slightly. And the quotes that we get from Karen especially are just delightful. She talks about staring him in the eyes, which just brings me back to the torpedo challenge in Hong Kong, Philippines. And she talks about him groping in his bag for her. And I'm like, you don't understand what you're saying, Karen. You're just being unintentionally smutty here.
1: She's about the same age as Pityan is.
0: Yeah, they are contemporaries, and I suspect from their interaction in this challenge especially that they are probably friends. I suspect that this is not the first time they have met. Which actually adds an element of fun to this challenge, even more so than normal, because it is just two friends messing with each other and trying to get one over on each other. So she stares into his eyes and tells him he's unreadable and she says that she decided when he was groping the yokers that nobody expects you to pick the first option, so she does, and it's three yokers. Art is then up second, and P.T. offers him absolutely nothing. Karen subtly shakes her head, and he rejects the first opportunity. The second offer is one, and Karen yet again gives it away, and he rejects it, meaning the third offer of three yokers is all his. How do you think the mole would play this challenge? I think
2: the mole would just play it as they contest and not influence it one way or the other. There's no money up for grabs. They're not going to care too much at this point.
0: Because the only advantage for a mole would be potentially getting more yokers and then potentially being able to give away those yokers if they wanted to. That's literally the only advantage I can think of for the mole here.
2: Yeah, just try to buy their innocence by yeah giving away all three of their yokers to multiple players.
0: That would be what I would do as a mole, is just try and stock up on yokers and then use them as social currency.
2: I like to during the challenge when it's because Pepine is last to go. And he's looking, He's I think he's looking at Karen too. And then Peter Yan says, uh, who are you looking at, Pepine? Because I'm sure Peter Yan's picked up that everyone's just instantly looking at Karen for a tell as to whether or not it's three
0: yokers. It's so funny because he is the only one where we see the group chat, and literally nobody's making eye contact with him. Not even Karen. Karen's not really helping him as much as she helps everyone else. She still shakes her head when he does the stupid thing, but nobody is actually making eye contact with him at all. He was very much the underdog in this challenge, I think.
2: Yeah, I think Art was doing karate with some of the kids there.
0: Now he was just too busy kicking a football around on the streets of Leon, that's all it was. So Patrick's up third and he goes for the first offer after a nod from Arts and it is three yokers. Sundos is fourth and she knew that this game was all about trust, and she decided to only look at Karen and rejects the offer of nothing. PTn looks disappointed to be defeated by her, and he offers three yokers next, and is accepted. And then Papine is last and claims he's looking at all of the group, and they avoid eye contact with him and he rejects the first offer of one yoker. He then rejects the second one, despite Karen telling him to go for it, meaning he is left with absolutely nothing. And he mistrusted the rest, his main trust partner in Anna wasn't there, and his lack of trust came back to bite him. And this is the start of the end for Pavine, because we've heard over the past few episodes especially how little he trusts people. He was the main proponent of nobody trusting each other in the, uh, in the writing the word challenge last episode, He's talked in previous episodes about how little he trusts anyone apart from Anna, and it came back to bite him when he was in a situation here when nobody was able to help him and nobody was willing to help him, apart from Karen, because she's nice. Patrick says he doesn't know if anyone tried to help Papine, but he realised that somebody needs to go home at some point, so he didn't help him himself.
2: Yeah, that's the disadvantage of going last, is when everyone has the three yokers, they're thinking... Hmm, this advantage really gets cancelled out if all of us get three yokers, except Anna. And then Anna is just confused as to why everyone else helped each other except for Pepine.
0: And the answer is because everyone's nice.
2: Yeah, they're all nice to each other. Maybe maybe Pepine was just this huge jackass off screen that we never got to see. Although how much he was willing to help the group by diving to put that last tube into the basket indicates otherwise.
0: Well, he was being a showman, wasn't he? He probably could have been a little bit quicker and got it in the basket if he wanted to. He just wanted to be the centre of attention.
2: And Pepin realises, Oh, it was dumb of me to try and risk it for three yokers when my closest ally wasn't involved in the challenge at all. Because after this challenge is over, we have three very distinct pairs in this game. We've got Soundos and Karen as a pair. They frequently chat. Martin and Patrick have been a pair since the very first round of the game. I think that's when we saw them already have their alliance well-established. And then the third pairing has been Anna and Pepine for, what, two or three episodes now? Probably ever since Mariana went home. So that's, what, three episodes? Yeah. So about three episodes of those two being a pair. So three very distinct pairings. And the fact that Pepine was the last one to go in the challenge and Anna being on the sidelines meant, hmm, probably not going to get too much help.
0: No, I don't think he helped himself, though. I certainly suspect that there was more at play than what we saw. I think Papine, especially in confessional to us, gave off the attitude of, I don't trust any of these people. I'm not even going to help them. And I think it came back to bite him when he had no support system in this challenge.
2: That's true, too. Because cause maybe it wasn't just Karen that was giving out all the information. Maybe Art and Patrick were indicating what to do.
0: Well, Art and Patrick were indicating to each other definitely. Karen was indicating to everyone. We saw Karen shaking her head and nodding a lot of the time in this challenge.
2: What about Soundos? Do we see Soundos give any tells?
0: I don't think so. I didn't spot any. Karen was the bigger the bigger tell here than anything else. If you rewatch these scenes, how animated Karen is without actually saying anything. For pretty much everyone apart from Papine, but she does try and help him with the three yokers at the end, and then he just ignores her, because he doesn't <laughs> trust her. So Sundos says that she's going to be using a minimum of two and not do a yan on the test, and Art and Patrick decide to not use them all at once because Anna and Papine have less than they do, and it's an advantage for them to keep a hold of their yokers. And It is now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Anna has one yoka, and Art, Patrick, Sundos, and Karen all have three Papine says he was really bummed out to be behind, it wasn't something you could have earned by working hard. He sticks with Karen as his mole, and there is always a margin of error if you misremember things. Patrick still suspects Papine, someone who makes such a dumb decision in not looking at others, is definitely suspicious. He ends up going for Karen in the end, that we see. Karen says that Papine is always mysterious and overcomplicating things, they've shared a lot of information recently, because he wanted to know all about her. And she plays two of her yokers, and goes for him in the end. Sundas is still suspicious of Patrick and plays three yokers. He's playing a game knowing people suspect him, so playing Loki and minimising his suspicion. She is not buying it, either he's the mole, or she has sunstroke. Anna's gut feeling is Art, she's doubting it now as he's too obvious a mole, so she is on Karen too, and plays her yoker. Art says that Anna loves being first at everything, He doesn't think there is an assignment where she didn't want to go first, or be first, or take the lead, which is something we saw at the start of the season. The mole wants to set the tone, so that is a great position for the mole to be in, and he plays two of his jokers. And Papine ends the suspicion segment by saying that Anna is definitely not the mole, and he would risk his hand being cut off for it. Yeah. Which is a bit extreme.
2: Yeah, those are some high stakes, because now it's a 20% chance.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how beautifully edited this season is, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a few weeks when we get to the finale, but stuff like Anna's first words out of her mouth being, Anna a ringleader, I want to lead every single challenge, comes back in this episode with Art saying, yeah, Anna loves being first at everything. She loves being the centre of attention and, and leading all of the people. And it's just brilliant how they've peppered that through the season, and, and it does come back, actually, in, in the later episodes. And it is stuff like the Papine story. The Papine story is brilliantly told because he he essentially screws himself over over the past three episodes because he really doesn't trust anyone apart from Anna. And he ends up sabotaging himself as a result of it.
2: Yeah, playing himself at, his, at a severe disadvantage, having no yokers to play. Which is kind of funny because at the beginning of the season, he gave everyone a free pass when he could have just been... So he, he's taken a bit more of a selfish turn in some ways.
0: Yeah, it's just brilliant how, how the story of this season is told and how subtly the story of the season is told. And you wouldn't necessarily pick up on all this stuff on an initial watch of this season. It's something a rewatch is really helpful for.
1: Yeah, I know there's a lot of people who aren't as sold on this season as we are, but, you know, go back and watch this one. It's really, really, really good.
0: Yeah, it is a fascinating season for so many reasons, mainly because it is Pete Ann's last one, and he just doesn't give a shit anymore. It's obviously the introduction to Art, and maybe Art is a little bit more toned down when he hosts the show than when he's on the season as a contestant. But you still get a little bit of Art's mischievous energy creeping in that he then brings into the hosting. You get a fantastic cast, and also some of the early boots. And you get just such clever editing, and so many interesting surprises, like the fact that they smuggle them across a border to do the transition rather than sticking them on a plane like a normal season would, or like them in the same episode in this one, throwing them into the sea that American production is too scared of putting their contestants, and then almost immediately sending them down a massive, slippery hill for our entertainment. This season is so... Interesting and forgotten and fun—that it is so worth a rewatch to me. I'm having an absolute blast rewatching this season, but I also loved it to begin with because I, you know, have good opinions.
2: And when for the execution, when the, when Pepine's name is typed in, everything goes into slow motion. Given on how much time was left in the episode, I figured, well, I guess Pepine is being executed here. And when his name gets typed in, with the red screen coming down. You can see Karen in the background, when it's all silent, she she mouths the words, No, shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, isn't it so interesting how you can build up so much tension, even if it's the first person being typed in, getting the red screen, you can build up so much tension of having P.E.N. do it, rather than sending them a text, and them having to tell us what their text says. Usually being, lol, you're executed. I know we're recording this before the US Mall reboot starts and gets cancelled, but I'm very interested to find out if they're going to do the final reveal by text.
2: You win! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Oh wait, no, no. That was just a 1-800 number.
1: Now use this phone to text the mall.
0: Are they going to lock them in three separate rooms and say the winner's going to get a text and then they're going to leave their room and send a text to the mall? Because believe me, I would love it if they lead into that. This season's gonna be shite. Obviously, we know that. But I would love it if they just lean into that goofy shit. So Anna feels like the Black Widow of Vistamol, everyone who she gets along with, then goes home. Art says it's like three or four people left when behind did, given he's such a big character. And there was something very interesting about his montage. Did you spot it, Saunders, Given you a love of the montages?
2: Uh, other than them re-showing the dive? No, I don't. I couldn't figure it out.
0: I don't think there was a single scene in his montage that wasn't from this episode.
2: There wasn't. Oh, really?
0: (laughs) Yeah. He basically got an episode one montage in episode seven. And I don't know why, because there's quite a lot of papine reactions to things that probably would have made good inclusions for his montage, but instead, literally everything is from this episode.
2: Do they include the slow motion of him impersonating his grandmother rattling around in a coffin?
0: No, it's him diving and him... Carrying the box on his head, I think, and him losing out on the yokers, and that's it.
2: Yeah, they could have shown him on. Did he? Because he did the that six 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 challenge, right? He did the fire breathing.
0: Yeah, he did the fire breathing. He did the the play with Patrick, and I think he was the one who. now it was it was Jan who had his ear dragged by uh, by Horace in that challenge. But like, there is so much more for Pine content they could have used for a montage. I don't know why they gave him an episode one star one.
2: Yeah, because it was a really short montage too, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was really, really short. The The ending of this episode is is super rapid, because it's basically just Pete Yann saying everyone's having fun and lay on on a Saturday night, but one of them won't be. is a no guarantee of safety, Papine gets typed in, red screen, Anna feels like a black widow, Art says he's a big character, they have an awkward chat going, why did you screw up that last challenge? And that is it. That's the last, like, two minutes of this episode. The next time Trailer probably gets more content than Papine does at the end of this episode.
2: Yeah, which is interesting, because he was a pretty big character on this season.
0: Yeah, he's a massive character on this season. All of the final six are, I would argue. And he kind of gets screwed over by it slightly. So, next time, there are boats, a lock-up in a lighthouse, Anna goes all-in on the test, and the moment arrives where the mole will make contact. A meet-the-mole challenge? Could it be...
2: Holy Cannoli.
0: We were warned of it in episode one, and now the mole will finally make contact with one of them. Potentially. So do you want to eulogize for Pine? Me? Yeah. <laughs> the only one who, who <laughs> suspected him so much and didn't know how he did in this season, so...
2: Uh, he was an unusual fellow throughout the season. where you, He didn't have a consistent trajectory, I would say. I mean... Where did the Maasai thing come from? He's a fire-breathing magician who hung out in the Maasai Mara. He got so near, yet sulfur. Oh. <laughs> oh, sulfur pun. This game really uh, erupted, uh, this episode. Stop trying. <laughs> it was bombs away uh, with the
0: So... Who do you suspect now that Papine has gone?
2: So my top five going into the execution were Anna, then Papine, then Agap, the then Karen, then Patrick, then Soundos. So I guess just take Papine out of the equation and it's Anna, then Karen, then Patrick, then Soundos for now.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought so too. And who do you think is going home next week?
2: Who is going home? Art and Patrick could make the finals together. Might be Soundos. Might be we might, might be saying goodbye to her, unfortunately. Interesting.
0: Interesting indeed. I, I say interesting a lot when uh, when Soundos says these things because I am not giving anything away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're. It's you're not as easy to read as Karen. I am as unreadable as Peter Jan Hagen's. <laughs> and have you got any final thoughts for this episode? Nope. Now I'm good. Cool. Nice low-key end to the episode. So yeah, Papine's gone. Rip Papine. And in that case, thank you for listening to our VSTML 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mole in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, rtvwarriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logs of Bindles is the grooming kapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Warriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. You get a joker, you get a joker, everybody gets a joker!